This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. reading for Ash Wednesday from the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 59 it is the basis for the sermon for our offenses are many in your sight Lord and our sins testify against us our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities rebellion and treachery against the Lord turning our backs on God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood, that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. The Word of the Lord. thought he would get away with it, but he was too slow. The police had responded to reports of suspicious activity in the area, and when they arrived on the scene, they caught him red-handed. Bottle of spray paint still in his hand, paint residue all over his clothes, wet paint still on the wall of the business nearby. He was busted. His mind raced to what would happen next for him. He understood there'd probably be a ticket. He knew a ride in a squad car down to the station 
was in his near future, but he hadn't gotten his mind to process what the officer said next. Somebody is going to have to pay for this, and that somebody is you. The judge sat on his bench and heard testimony after testimony. It was the same story, but his heart broke over and over as he heard these words from trusting and good people. How they had been swindled out of their life savings by a cheat and a thief. A cheat and a thief that was now sitting across the courtroom. As the judge made his verdict, he looked that defendant in the eye and called it like it was. You have stolen from many people, and now it's your turn to pay. The death row inmate picked through the meal that he had chosen to be his last This was a discomfort and an agony that he wasn't expecting, although that was far from his mind the night that he murdered the young couple in cold blood. They hadn't done anything to deserve it. They were just horribly unfortunate enough to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and their paths crossed with that of a cold-blooded killer. It was a small piece of news. News that could bring them some contentment, some resolution. It was a skinny, skinny sliver. But the family took it. The small bit of peace in knowing that their loved one's killer would finally pay for their crime, for his crimes. Somebody is going to have to pay for this. That short sentence, that concept, it really could serve as the refrain, as the summary for the entire ministry of the prophet Isaiah. He was called upon by God to serve the people who lived in the southern kingdom called Judah. And as he ministered to those people, and as he shared with them the words and warnings from the Lord, they got what should have been a vivid, what should have been a life-changing and attitude-changing object lesson, courtesy of their cousins to the north. God had sent the mighty Assyrian army to carry them off into captivity, and worse, into oblivion. The northern kingdom of Israel was never seen or heard from again. Yet Isaiah's warning, that object lesson, didn't resonate with them. Somebody had to pay for their sins, and that's what they were doing. Their unbelief, their lack of trust, their vile and grotesque lives were now receiving the due penalty. But God didn't call on Isaiah just to preach about those people who lived to the north, and he didn't call Isaiah just to rail on the excesses and unbelief of those pagan nations around them. He had words of warning for the people of Judah, too. Somebody is going to have to pay for this. He warned them 
and warned them and warned them again that their lives were just the same as their cousins to the north. Their sins, so similar. Yet they expected that God would deal with them differently. They expected their futures to be different. They were the ones who made treaties with the nations around them and trusted in their power instead of the power of God. They were the ones who had turned worship into ritual. They were the ones who made alliances with nations who got their power from God instead of going straight to the source. Isaiah's message was a message that was true. Somebody is going to have to pay for this. But it wasn't even just them where Isaiah's ministry stopped. He used words like us and we. He preached God's words of law and warning to himself and to his own hearts and to his own sinful life as well. And now by the Spirit's inspiration, these words lie open before us. And us and we is us. And we We hear God's message through his prophet tonight and recognize that we need to hear his words too. We hear those words of warning and take it to our hearts and into our minds and lives. Somebody is going to have to pay for this. Isaiah says, For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. What are the excuses that we make every day, if not the lies that our hearts have conceived? What are the times that we arrogantly choose our own way instead of God's way, if not rebellion and treachery against the Lord? What are our doubts, fears, cynicisms, and apathies, if not turning our backs on our God? It's a sad but real truth for them and for us. Somebody is going to have to pay for this. And that somebody is us. Isaiah declares what the consequences of Judah's sins, what the consequences of our sins are. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And there's no escaping that truth. There's no wiggling out of the consequences of our sins. There's no act of human effort that can bridge the gap, the great chasm that has been entrenched between sinners like us and a holy God. There's no act of righteousness that we can do that can undo sin's curse or fix what we've broken. Somebody's going to have to pay for this. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 
chapter 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. You've heard the phrase, the long arm of the law. There's no escaping the long arm of the law. You've heard that phrase and you know what it means too. You better pay your parking tickets because if you let them pile up too much, the long arm of the law will finally reach you and it's going to put a boot on your car as well. You better not cheat on your taxes because the IRS will find out. It'll catch up with you in the end and you'll have to pay it all back plus a fine to boot. You can't run from your past. It'll catch you eventually. That phrase has actually been used since the 1500s. Common people would declare that kings have long arms. You can't hide from the king. You can't run from the king. You better not cross the king or else you'll pay. And if it's true that you better not cross the king. And if it's true that you can't hide from the government, how foolish are are we to think that we can do those very things from God? How foolish to think that the God who knows all things, even our secret sins, that we could hide from him. God has long arms. Just ask Jonah. He learned the folly of trying to hide from God. He learned just how incapable we are of running from him. He learned that God has long arms. God has long arms. That's why Isaiah says, God put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. We've crossed God, and now we have to pay. We've done the crime, now we do the time. The only problem is this, our time is more than just a few hours of community service. It's more than just a a week or a month in jail. It's an eternity in the prison house of hell. We've done the crime. We pay the fine. But it's not just a misdemeanor ticket. It's our lives that we owe God. It's our lives that we deserve to pay for our sins and our faults and our failures. Somebody's going to have to pay for this, and that somebody is you. Ezekiel's words are clear, and they are horrifying. The one that sins is the one who will die. And that's true. That's 
100% true, but so is this. Our God has long arms. And I'm not just repeating myself. Uh, I, I haven't lost myself in my manuscript. I'm telling you what Isaiah told his people in verse 1 of this very same chapter. God has long arms. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. God's law arms are long. You can't run or hide from him, but his love arms are longer. You can't out-sin God. You can't undo his love. God's arms are long enough to save. His ears are attentive to our cries for mercy. He hears our prayers and answers them. He sees us sit in dust and ashes. He sees our lives of repentance. He sees us hollow ourselves by his power of our own perceived ability to save ourselves and sees us reach to him and call to him for aid. Our God's arms are long enough and his love is deep enough to save. He reaches down to us and pulls us up from the pit and shares with us his love. God saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. God worked out our salvation for us because no one else could save us. He saved us through the power of his arm, through the depth of his love. He came to be our substitute and savior. Jesus took on human arms and face and feet. He took on human flesh so that he could live under the law that we are powerless to keep. And he kept that law perfectly. Jesus grew from a boy to be a man so that he could be the hero that we needed him to be. He took on flesh so that flesh could be ripped apart for us, so that the blood that coursed his veins could be poured out as a sin offering. He gave his life so that you, so that I could live. When God considers the lies of our hearts, when he considers our treachery and rebellion, he rightly calls out somebody is going to have to pay for this. And it's just then that Jesus steps out and says, agreed. Somebody is going to have to pay for this and that somebody is me. Jesus was willing to pay the price. Jesus was willing to be the sacrifice. He graciously offered his body and innocently shed his blood so that forgiveness and wholeness and life could be ours. Jesus stretched out his arm to work salvation for us. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head and he went to war for you and for me. He went to war to win a victory that we were powerless to win. 
He destroyed the devil's power, put him in a chain, and held him at bay. He destroyed sin through his perfect life. He defeated death and left it powerless to touch us. By stretching out his arm and flexing his muscles and rising in victory from the grave. And he shares that victory with us. So surely as he conquered death, so will we. So surely as he walked from a grave, so will we. So surely as he entered heaven glorified and holy, so shall we. Isaiah continues. The Redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who repent of their sins declares the Lord. I know that my Redeemer lives. A confession of faith from one of the earliest believers, Job who knew that the God that he worshipped was a living God, and because the God that he worshipped was a living God, he knew that he too would live. He know that, knew that he would experience a bodily resurrection, and one day he would see God face to face. I know that my Redeemer lives. That's our joy today as we remember that somebody is going to have to pay for this and that somebody is Jesus. That's precisely what he did. He paid for your sins and mine. He bought us back from sin and death. He purchased us with his very life so that we could and will live. I know that my Redeemer lives. It's the light at the end of the tunnel that we embark upon today called Lent. Forty days of sorrow over sin. Forty days of godly repentance. Forty days of somber reflection. Forty days of considering the consequences and seriousness of sin. Somebody's going to have to pay for this. It was your sins and mine that put Jesus on the cross and put him in the grave but never lose sight of the light. The light that shines in the darkness. The light that lives and always will. The light that glows at the end of this Lenten tunnel. I know that my Redeemer lives. That's the joy in store for us at the end of the journey of Lent. That's the joy in store for us at the end of the journey of life. That's what our 40 days march is heading towards. That's the song of joy that we will sing in this place on Easter morning. And that's the song of joy that we will sing in a far better place with far greater joy as we join the choir of saints and angels to sing it in heavenly glory for endless days. That's our joy. That's our confidence. That's our sure and solid hope because somebody paid for it to be so. And because he lives, so do we. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you.